are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I am one of two hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on X and all the socials these days. You can find our show on Spotify, Apple, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. If this is your first time listening, chance starts how you found us. Welcome. Hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, thanks for coming back. I'm based <laughs> in California. And I'm tossing it to my man in Canada, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand at Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ. He does tennis form recaps. John, been a busy uh, two weeks for you, John. How are you feeling about wrapping that up a bit? Ooh, uh, a little bit, little bit of the burnout, but uh, this week, you know, NFL came back. Got to go out Thursday night and, and watch the the opening uh, opening game. So a little bit of kind of way to unwind that way so back to back a little refresh this weekend can't complain there you go all right john well we always kick it off with our accountability segment sadly i've been a bit swamped with work so we haven't been back on the podcast mike so taking it back all the way back to round three round four uh, but we had a pretty nice episode last time out uh, last week uh alex Zverev laying a set and a half with dimitrov was pretty sweaty but got there cash in Daniil Medvedev, the finalist, his match against Baez, talked about the eight was uh, too short, covers that. The under comes in as well, 3-0. Any form of uh, fading Baez comes in. Another win for us, Tiafo unders against Hajikata, playing the games as well. That also got needlessly sweaty as, as Tiafo uh, felt the need to have a, a extremely wonky third set uh maybe that was foreshadowing his, his loss to shelton but we cashed that on the day we did lose on my guy dom stricker the set one money line set two money line and uh fritz of course doesn't cover for us uh, but the 3-0 does come in if you if you played that uh, we talked about fritz likely winning this in three and then we kind of passed on paul shelton which was good <laughs> but our paul to win his quarter ticket dies and uh we just talked out the Goyo Djokovic match. Didn't really have a play on that one. So uh, we were good with that. Let's turn the page to the final, John. We have one match left of this US Open. Before we talk about that, do you have any lingering US Open thoughts uh, on this tournament as a whole? For me, I just, I, I was a little disappointed in how much really fun tennis we got to see. Uh, and that, that includes the women's draw, to be honest. I just thought that it wasn't the greatest. I think there were some tension-filled moments. I think there was some... The, the crowd really aids the quality of the viewing experience more here than I think anywhere else. The Arthur Ashe crowd, yes, they can be annoying. Yes, sometimes they cheer between serves, Daniil. We get it. But when you have 20,000 people in there and you've got that kind of New York loud mentality... And, you know, they're, they're boozed up on honey deuces because apparently those things are delicious. I have to get down there and try one of those. It really does add to the experience because let's face it, for what, five or six days or maybe four or five days, we didn't have a single competitive match in the night session on Ash. Like you needed a crowd there to do something and to, to bring some noise to make those remotely watchable. So that's what I'd say. I think, you know, kudos to the crowd. Big, big thumbs up to them. Yeah, certainly a, a lot of buzz, uh, a lot of celebs, uh, I thought, at the event. Uh, ben Shelton's run, I think, gained a lot of attention uh, on the heels of Eubanks at Wimbledon. So, you know, here in America, I think the interest in tennis does kind of live and die by how well American <laughs> tennis players are doing. So definitely think Shelton's splash run here. Peaked the interest a little more, at least on the men's side. I don't th know that people were super stoked on M Maddie Hughes' run. <laughs> But, but well, Coco Goff is there. But we have Coco. The media so. loves Coco. The media loves Coco. So yeah. Yeah, they, they got that. They got their favorite in, into the final. I thought we were going to see a Keys, an All-American final for the second 
time with Keys in it since 2017. If you remember, Keys played Sloan Stevens in that one, and Sloan won it. And then she, before she could choke away the final to another American that is relatively underpowered compared to her, although I don't think Coco's nearly as underpowered as Sloan, but compared to her, and she choked it before she got there. Smart move. Smart move not to have her heart broken in the final again. <laughs> oh, how about Jimmy Butler? There's a talking point, too. The guy that plays that niche sport, at least for us. To you, it's hockey. To us, or to, to me anyway, it's basketball. Uh, he was there. And, you know, if Jimmy Butler likes that, all NBA fans should start watching tennis. Because if it's good enough for Jimmy Butler, it's good enough for the fans of the NBA. So that's my pitch to grow the sport. Everyone that likes the NBA should just follow Jimmy Butler's lead. Because he's better at basketball than you. And he loves tennis. Yeah, Durant was there last night. Durant getting... was in D.C. too. Yeah, he's from D.C., so. That makes sense. Yeah, I, <laughs> See, I didn't know this. <laughs> um, I don't know these things. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, as a content maker, uh, I wish we could have participated this week a little bit. Uh, I'm sure you were doing your own thing, but uh, yeah, I was a bit swamped with work, so that's kind of a bummer. But we're gonna be here through the rest of the 13 remaining tournaments, including the finish at the Turin Finals. So hopefully pick up some some new audience members along the way there and um, make a splash at the AO in 2024. It's not that far away. All right, yeah, John. This is the, what's the longest window between slams? AO to French, I think? That's a long wait when you go from like last part of January to May. I think this, oh, this is about the same amount, right? September to January, October, November, December, January. Yeah, it's about four months so i mean this is this is no different than from even just because we we change years and i think we get in our minds that the next slam is so far away it's it's somewhere in the same region as the australian open to the french open right it's not that far away no and big things uh will be happening with this podcast uh moving forward so we're not going anywhere even though we have failed you for the quarters and the semis <laughs> uh all right we have one match left which we will dig into after i talk to you about spotify for podcasters okay john the U.S. Open men's final. It's one we've seen before. Two years ago, in fact. Daniil Medvedev is taking on Novak Djokovic. Novak is a minus 255 money line favorite. Medvedev is plus 215 as the dog. That's up a little bit from plus 190 at open. The spread is four and a half. The total is 39. These two have played a bunch. Nine and five head-to-head to Novak. Medvedev won in Dubai earlier this year on an outdoor hard court quicker hard courts novak won at adelaide one to start off the year six three six four uh, he also won not too long before that uh, at the atp finals in italy on indoor hard in three sets they also they, these guys have actually played quite a few times uh, in recent uh, times because they played uh in astana in the home country of borat kazakhstan <laughs> and, and a kind of a funky match because i remember that that was an indoor hard match where Medvedev had won the first set, lost 8-6 at the tiebreak, and a tight second set, and then out of nowhere retired, which was shocking in the moment, if I recall correctly. And of course, Medvedev won two years ago here at the US Open, stopping the calendar slam for Novak that year. You know, most people said it was the nerves being on the brink of history that stopped Novak, his own head. In that match, uh, Medvedev, of course, did the famous video game finish to close that one out. Let's talk about their paths here. Well, first off, let's catch your uh, Medvedev quarter ticket from the first episode, John. Yeah, I mean, it was just such a weak quarter. And Med's one of those guys who, you like, three out of five, he gained such an edge over so many people because of his fitness ability, his physicality. He's still one of the best hardcore players in the world. And 
he talked about his summer, just he, he wanted his serve to be a bit better. As soon as that started clicking, there wasn't anyone in the second quarter stopping him. He owns Rublev um, in their history. And like game-wise, you can see why. If you can't hit through him, you, you have nothing to offer. You don't come to net. Rublev doesn't come to net. I mean, it was anything, like I said, over plus 110. I think I saw plus 125 earlier was was a good play. Yeah, Medvedev beat O'Connell, Baez, Dimonor, who, I mean, was looking pretty good early. Uh, I played... I played the plus uh, four and a half or five or something, and uh, uh, somehow Medvedev covered from losing two six in the first set. Thank you. <laughs> that one felt good for me. I'm not gonna uh, lie to you. That one, that was that one was nice to get back. One of the many many nasty uh, beads this season. I can't complain. He got his revenge for Toronto, and he's he tanked that first set too. I was like, well, there goes that because um, he wasn't feeling well. Called the doctor to court. Was pissy on like between points. I was like, oh boy. He's just going to tank this in spectacular fashion. Then he decided, oh, wait, I'm way better than this guy. And he came back nominated. So I'll take it. Medvedev then provided a bunch of live opportunities <laughs> against Rublev. Uh, I bet him <laughs> live on the set money line in each of the three sets versus Rublev, which was just, I mean, I won four units on that match. It was great. <laughs> and of course, uh, the surprise upset uh, against Alcaraz. Alcaraz just didn't have it in that match, I felt. Just didn't have it. It was a match that was played on Medvedev's terms from start to finish, outside of one hiccup from uh, Alcaraz in that third set, or from Medvedev in that third set where he he finally let Alcaraz into a service game. Other than that, though, it was like it was just such a tame matchup. Like any any time that was going to be entertaining or be head turning or get there, like if the crowd was going to be loud, it was always going to be when Alcaraz did something amazing and he just didn't let him. He, he landed two thirds of his first serves and won like 85% of those points. And that's when we get into the preview. That is exactly where he's going to have to find other ways to win points against Djokovic because that's one thing Carlos still doesn't do as well as, as Novak, I think, is, is start points against first serves. We saw what Novak did to Ben Shelton uh, and he goes for it big on his second serve as well. So, um, that'll be an area of concern if I'm Medvedev that, you know, Djokovic is going to be a big step up in that regard. And I'm going to have to find ways to find easy hold. I'm not going to have to find other ways to find easy holds, but he was able to do it against Alcaraz. And he just, the vast majority of Medvedev service games were boring as hell. And that's exactly what he wanted. That means he was probably winning cheat points or forcing errors. And that's what he did. Like the Alcaraz didn't, he didn't commit a ton of un- unforced errors, but there were a lot of netted balls when Medvedev would hit a nice forehand, step into it, take it early, rip it cross court, and pull you know pull Med or pull Alcaraz off into the the wilderness there and, and get a netted ball or get Alcaraz to to kind of go too big and sail it long while he was on the run. It was it was a really really nice performance from Daniel Medvedev. Now I found the match thoroughly unenjoyable because of it, but that's kind of what his goal is in most matches. I actually didn't get to see a ton uh, of that match. Um, I watched the highlights um, and I, I was, I did see the final game live in which I just saw Alcaraz have opportunity after, after opportunity to extend that match and um, just go long or into the net. So Medvedev certainly living off uh, Alcaraz cooking himself uh, a bit in that one is super clean himself though. Cause as you pointed out, talking it out last night, um, a third of his unforced errors were his 10 double faults which is um, <laughs> quite something. Uh, I was on the double faults over uh, 11 and a half in that one. Uh, Medvedev had 10 on his own. 
and uh, Alcaraz and a four set loss somehow didn't have any. So yeah. what was it? 18 service games. I think I counted up last night. I was a little tired. So my mouth would have been foggy, but it, between 17 and 19, put it that way. Service games, not getting one double fault from Alcaraz. It's not like he, he's not known for double faults, but it's not like he's, he commits, you know, he hits zero in, in, mo, in more, more, most matches. Right. So thought that was pretty unlucky uh, to get 10 from Medvedev, which probably more than you would expect. You probably expect to get seven or eight out of him in four sets and uh, get none from Alcaraz. There are like 18 service games. It's it's a lot. Or that's, yes. like, that's a lot of service games without one. Sorry. Yeah, it's brutal. Novak beat uh, the Frenchman Muller, Zapata Morales, Jera, Bornagoyo. Uh, so a lot of clay guys. Uh, and then two American hardcorters and Taylor Fritz and Ben Shelton. Now, something to note from the Ben Shelton match, which he did more or less dominate for two sets and then got a little lost in the woods in, in the third set. Novak only won 34% of his second serve points against Ben Shelton, 11 of 32. If he wins 34 of his second serve points against Daniil Medvedev, uh, Daniil Medvedev is going to win the U.S. Open. Mm, yeah, but he, that again, this is another spot where Shelton just doesn't know any better and just goes for it, right? Medvedev doesn't have, one, that mindset, and two, even if he did, he doesn't have the raw power. And so the second serves are kind of where you can, if you have that go bigger, go home mindset and you have that natural raw power, anyone's second serve is it's going to be tough to protect it if if you're if you're landing those those big returns. And that's what Ben Shelton kind of does. Medvedev doesn't have that raw power, nor does he really go for it all that often. I think, you know, I think he has a bit more power than he he displays. I don't think he has to play a serve and push style by any measure, but he he still does. So um that's a little that's another point for another time but i think that yeah I, i'm not sure that he'll he'll be able to win two-thirds of um second serve return points if he does though you're right i mean Djokovic is going to be in trouble looks like there's a 60 percent chance of rain uh tomorrow so the the roof will likely be on all right john do you have a, a solidified pick in this one uh, I'll be writing a bet builder or i guess you call them in north america they're referred to as same game parlay uh, for betting expert, I will say I will never go above one unit on these things, just because you can be multiplying your <laughs> your your kind of vague or or the amount that of the house edge if you're not careful. I have one today for the women's final. It's not published yet, but um, they wanted bet builders for the finals, and I think that there are ways to construct them that that do still show a bit of value. I would lean Novak if the roof's on. It might change my number by a half game to to in favor of Medvedev, which might push me off betting Novak. So, I mean, it's really going to that as much as you don't want to bet into a super kind of efficient market or a market that's been bet into place. If it's being bet with the assumption the roof is off, I do think that that turns the so-called efficient market into an inefficient one again, because I do think Medvedev would gain a half game on Djokovic if you play that indoors. I think that serve becomes a little bit more effective. And like I said, the point starting for Djokovic might become a little more difficult with that roof closed. And that could make the difference by like like a one game difference in a best of five match is not that big, but to betters that is big because it changes which half game we should be betting uh, or which side we should be betting on like a four and a half instead of a four or three and a half, right? So uh, I want to wait and see to to see how not the weather prospectus or or the percentages. I mean, like at two thirty on Sunday afternoon, what is the weather like in New York? Because that'll determine. Um, what I'm more likely to bet in, in like my single wagers. But if I were right now, if the roof was open, I would be leaning towards Djokovic. I want to give a a shout out um, to a mania from the game uh, bet match pod. He has been really pumping 
the no tiebreak prop. And while it obviously they played a tiebreak in the last match with Akraz and hasn't been hitting like 100%, it's been cashing pretty heavy and often at a nice plus price throughout uh, the tournament. So one last shot here with Medvedev and Djokovic. But I think that's an interesting prop in this matchup because I certainly think these guys will have the ability to break each other. I'm leaning Medvedev here myself uh, at the over plus 200 price. So when it was plus 190, it was not uh, that interested here. But if I'm going to get a plus 215, plus 210 on uh, Bet Online, I got a plus 215 on Bovada. And if it starts even creeping up even more, I, I don't know. I, I Part of me feels like the fact that Novak hasn't played anybody might actually be a detriment. I mean, he did have that war against Jera which was a little bit of a, a prep for this match, uh, as certainly Jared Medvedev, not you know, one-for-one comp players, but uh, I, I certainly think that Medvedev's pathway to winning this match is going to be taking a page out of the way that Jared was finding success, which was extending those rallies and drawing out some misses from Novak, and he's going to offer him up. Look, the guy is unbelievable tennis player, the best of all time. He is human, and he will miss, but Daniil does have a, a small margin of error so he's gonna have to play a relatively clean match like he did against Alcaraz I think Med's got a real shot I I don't know I just feel like it's not gonna be straightforward in this one the total 39 it's pretty high I think it's gonna be at least four sets but they have the over three and a half sets at minus 200 what do you think about the over three and a half sets here John is there actually some value like we always talk like there are times where like minus 200 can be a value uh could this potentially be one of those spots um, if, if you're going to do the over three and a half, I would probably just take Novak minus one and a half. I, I like the minus one and a half sets a lot more at minus 105 than uh, a juice over three and a half sets. I can't see Medved winning in three straight to, to sink your over three and a half, but I also uh, think that Novak would have that chance. I think, you know, a couple years ago, you it, Novak was not at his best in that US Open final. We all know it. We all saw it. You alluded to it earlier when you talked about everyone saying the pressure was getting to him with that, that calendar slam. And I think the reason why that was such a narrative was because it was so clear he was not at his best. His shots didn't just just didn't have that same zip on them. He didn't have, you know, the angles weren't being generated as well. The body language in particular was the real giveaway. He just looked drained. He looked like you could see it on his face, almost lost, or he knew that he didn't have his best. I don't know if that's going to be the case tomorrow. I think he sees like, hey, this is number 24. I'm three sets away from it. I don't like the narrative stuff because I'm sorry that no one can really price that into to, to their number properly. And it will, if you rely too heavily on it, I saw this a lot with Ben Shelton. Uh, I saw three or four different write-ups talking about Ben Shelton clearly isn't afraid of the spotlight. He's clearly not afraid of his opponent. It's like, okay, what does that have to do with whether he, and so everyone took him to win a set. I get it. You can't, how do you price that in? How do you price Ben Shelton not being scared of anyone into your price? Okay. It's hard to price these narrative narrative things in, but like I said it at the start of the tournament and I, and I'll keep saying it. Djokovic is not someone who forgets. He is not, he, he watches, he knows who beat him a couple years ago in the U.S. Open final. And you know, damn freaking well, he wants his revenge. That's just who he is as a player. And you know what? That's a good thing. He doesn't forget his losses. He learns from them and he wants to avenge them. That's why he's won more than anyone else in the history of this of this sport. I think you have to consider it again. Whether you how you price that in or how much you you make it worth into your number is completely different. But if he comes to net enough, I, I, I'm simply not sold on Medvedev against the elite of the elite. I'm not. 
I mean, I know he just beat Alcaraz. Like Coco Goff beat Igor Swiatek in Cincinnati. She's still one and seven against her. Since Alcaraz added more consistency to his game and stopped um, and, and started coming to net more in the last two years, he w- he crushed Medvedev until last night in their in their other five sets. In the grand scheme of things, and from a macro perspective, Joe Medvedev is his game is a little too simple for me against the elite of the elite. And I know because Djokovic doesn't have the raw power that some guys do that Medvedev has really pushed him before because he can't hit through that nasty defense. But there's no weakness in Djokovic's game other than his overheads, which is really odd. Uh, And if he does come to net enough, he puts this away. And I do think he's going to have that motivation. He's going to have that match from a couple years ago in his mind. And, you know, like I said, I I think that that this price, I'd lean towards Djokovic. If I started factoring the narrative stuff in, I would definitely lean towards Djokovic. I'm not sold on Medvedev. Call it bias, call it whatever you want. His game's just not there for me against Djokovic. And his best asset, his first serve, he's now playing one of the greatest point point starters on return uh, in the history of the game. If if Djokovic even remotely uh, tames that first serve, I mean, if he keeps him to 70% one instead of 80 to 85% one behind that serve, I really find it difficult to see where exactly Medvedev uh, makes up the ground to, to put him away. Man, minus one and a half sets him. Minus one, you said minus one hundred five. I, I can find a minus one fifteen for Novak. That's pretty tempting. I'm not gonna lie. I feel like plus at plus two fifteen. That's thirty one point seven five percent implied probability. I actually think for me, I think that Medvedev has a thirty eight to thirty nine, closer to forty percent chance of winning this match. So I find that to be actionable myself. But then. Novak winning, covering one and a half sets at minus 115. I feel like that's an actionable number as well. So it's like, uh, fuck. Novak to win and no tiebreak plus 180 in the match on Bovada. That's an interesting prop. Definitely in a match like this, dig into these prop markets. I want to find my double faults because I might be back on that one. We're back on the over under 11 and a half. I'm going to bet that right now. I will be on the over 11 and a half. Medvedev gave me 10. Let's say that reverts back to seven. I'm at least getting four or five from from Novak. Has he been hitting a lot of double faults this this tournament, Novak? He's. I feel like he, he solidly gives up a few every match, but he's not kind of like you would think with Alcaraz. Like he he's not going to have the cleanest matches, but he also doesn't give up like six or seven. So I mean that'll be it'll be. I think it'll be close. I think eleven and a half might might be where I'd set it. I haven't even looked at his double fault numbers this turn. I think he had a couple against Ben, three against five Ben against Taylor. Born a Goyo three. Yeah. So he's in that three to five range. Pretty much every match. Four against DeGere. Yeah. Oh. Not against Bernabe, but he didn't play many games there, right? You also got to, when you talk about the Mueller and Bernabe matches, he put five up against Mueller. And he only, how many service games did he after that match? Like, you know, if, if, if you're, and the, the, the other thing with these props too that I would say is if you, you should be, looking at what your total number is because if you think this goes over a certain number of games that that will have an impact right that will correlate to all of these prop markets like aces and double faults the longer the match goes the more service games you're going to have for each player the more service games you have the more chances for double faults you have right so if you think this match goes under you're probably going to be leaning towards under on most props and and vice versa so if you do like the over and i know you said you like medvedev uh to at least push him that means you're probably gonna have a close match and you're either going to get three close sets with a ton of service games in each, or you're going to get four plus. And, and either way, I think that that probably helps you a little bit in your in your double fault over um, bet as well. All right. Well, man, 17 and a half total aces. That seems extremely high. 
not that Novak can't hit aces, but he's not out there like crushing them. And I certainly don't think Medvedev is going to be acing up Novak. Right. I mean, I think Medvedev will be looking more for for unreturns than 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 direct aces because it's not easy to ace Novak Djokovic. I mean, he had nine against nine against Carlos. He had eleven against Dimonor, eight against Rublev, twelve against Baez. There's also a case for energy conservation for Novak if you like that over 17 and a half total. Is there going to be a point where Novak, and he's done this a lot in the past, he'll find his break of serve in a set and then he'll just just focus on basically holding, right? I think I don't think he'll do that in this case. I think obviously with Medvedev's returning abilities, he'll be kind of, you know, keeping that pedal to the metal on return. But there is there have been times where Djokovic will find his break and just look to serve out sets. And a lot of the times he's not going to be lunging when he's up five, three in a set. I could be lunging for a massive serve down the tee. He'll just walk over to the other side and let it go. All these things need to be accounted for as well. And, you know, it, it's all going to depend on, on how Novak's going to play with a lead within a set, because that will also impact how many aces um, Medvedev should hit. All right. Well, sidewise, I'm going to go a half unit on Daniil Medvedev plus 215. Uh, myself, I'm going to sprinkle some on the double fault market. Uh, I might do a little no tie break action uh as well john what are your final picks here well i'll be doing a bet builder for betting expert the women's is, was just posted so you can look out for that it'll likely be correlated to a Djokovic win right because you want to make sure all your markets right you don't want to have over first game over first set games and then under games in a match right you're just shooting yourself in the foot uh by doing that so you want to make sure all your markets kind of correlate when you your, your same game parlays but i'll be having i'll have one of those for the final um, that one I'm going to do a little bit more digging into, really try and, and figure out what prop markets uh, I want to add, and it'll probably be three, four legs. So I will have that up at Betting Expert. It's not written yet, and I really haven't given that much thought to it just yet as to what will correlate. So watch for that. And then I would lean I would lean Novak uh, on the minus games market, and I do like the minus one and a half. That's minus 105. That's probably the, the only thing that, I, that I'll be betting myself as soon as we, we finish recording is the minus 105 on the minus one and a half sets, and I'll ponder the games as well. All right, folks, we have one match left at the U.S. Open. Enjoy. Uh, most people will probably stop paying attention after this, uh, but there's a lot uh, of calendar left. Not a lot. There's some calendar left for the ATP Tour, and, and we will be here to help guide your way through it. So hopefully we've provided some uh, insights for you over the, the last two weeks with the U.S. Open. And, uh, yeah, we will be back uh, next week. Until then, follow John at Jared Tweets Tennis at Tidbits Tennis. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Do like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, but we are a Spotify podcast. So please, if you are a Spotify uh, listener, find us there, like us there, subscribe there. And uh, until next time, see you on the court. <laughs>